Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Wonderful thing to feel the presence of God. It's a wonderful privilege to feel the presence of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. I'm glad to be in church tonight in the house of the Lord, in the house of the Lord. What a great report from this past Sunday. Thank you. Amen, Brother Rayleigh, Brother Justin Rogers in his absence. Amen. It's an exciting thing to be away from home and say the church was a blowout. Amen. And, uh, and, and know what that blowout meant. <laughs> good, good thing to feel the presence of the Lord, hear a great report. I'm honored to be asked to preach anywhere. But I, this is like a well-worn shoe. I love to be right here. This is my favorite desk, favorite pulpit, my favorite congregation. Amen. I'm looking forward to what the Lord will speak to our heart tonight. I feel the Lord gave me something early this morning, and I just ask you to help me tonight. I feel like we're just going to make a journey. If you'll make the journey with me, I think the Lord can speak something into our heart. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse number 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. We're going to camp out here in this uh, chapter as well as a few other verses and places. But if you will just kind of hang with me for a moment, I believe the Spirit of God can say something. 2 Corinthians 4 and 1 is familiar to many. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we have re- as we have received mercy, we faint not. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And so with the help of the Lord, I want to speak to you tonight from this thought, a glorious ministry, a glorious ministry. Now, before anybody disconnects that doesn't have a card in your pocket, I'm not just talking about pulpit ministries. I believe that everybody has a ministry. Every child of God, every born-again believer has a ministry, and so as we have received this ministry by the mercy of God, the grace of God, then we faint not. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for your worship tonight. The literal translation of this passage that Paul shares, we could really read this passage of Scripture this way. We could say, therefore, seeing we have this kind of ministry, we faint not. Seeing that we have this type of ministry, we faint not because God has called all of us to a unique ministry and you are uniquely you and I am uniquely me and that's why we should uh, relish in the fact that David said we're fearfully, wonderfully made. Amen. So we have a unique call to the ministry but I believe the ministry that God has called us to as I say in my subject, it's a glorious ministry. And so if Paul is saying, seeing that we have received this kind of ministry, we faint not, 
we need to really ask ourselves what kind of ministry is the Apostle Paul referring to. So often when we kind of take a text and we go from one point, we consider that in our mind to be the starting point. But in truth, it's not really the starting point. And so we're going to look back at chapter 3. And I believe that here in chapter 3, we can see the ministry that Paul is, is talking about perhaps a little better described. I believe the ministry that the Lord has called the church to is alive. I believe it is well. I believe it is vibrant. I believe it's a ministry that can bring life and salvation. It can bring righteousness to unrighteous to an unrighteous world. The power of the gospel to completely change and transform lives. Amen. I, I uh, have seen many people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I have watched along with many of you as their countenance changed in that moment. And so how many have ever witnessed that? I mean, in that moment of time, there was a change about their countenance. But thankfully, there was a deeper change than that. And so as they walked away from that particular service or that event moment, whatever it may have been, we began to see that God really did a work in their lives. And as they began to walk in the light that God had begin to share with them or shine, then we see that there is something that the Lord has released in their particular life. Now, it's a ministry that can transform lives, but this is not a ministry that is born necessarily of, of people's natural talents or abilities. I think that's important to understand. And truth of Paul, the, the, the ministry that Paul or the gift that he's talking about is something that we can only receive from God. I know sometimes in the world of Pentecost and our exuberance uh, to pray with people in the altar, uh, sometimes I think we, if we're not careful, we can uh, for, for, forget that it's God who gives the gift <laughs> and not we ourselves. You can't pat it in. You can't rub it in. You can't shake it in. <laughs> you can't holler it in. It's the Lord that gives that gift. And so that's where it, the church needs to be disciplined in, in those areas. We need to be liberal in our, in our worship and our prayer and our faith, but we need to understand we can't give anyone the, the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's something that, uh, it's not a gift like, you know, we give somebody something, they give us something in return. Uh, it's a gift because of God's mercy. That's what Paul said. We have this gift as we, as we have received mercy, the gift of that ministry. And so I believe... Paul aptly addresses this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He said, I think Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for, he, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And so the Lord saw something in all of us. He considered that faithful and placed something in us putting me into or us into something. Perhaps I think Paul maybe words that a little better. We talk about going into the ministry. Paul talks about the ministry going into him. Amen. Putting him rather vice versa. We talk about getting in that. And Paul says that he placed me here, not that coming into me. He placed me there. And then Paul went on to reiterate that this divine appointment had nothing to do with his worthiness. This was not something that he postured or positioned himself for. As a matter of fact, Paul begins to, uh, to uh, 
take apart that notion. He begins to remind them that he said of himself, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. He said, I was injurious. I, I brought a lot of harm to the New Testament church. So I didn't position myself here. It's not my actions or deeds that I find myself here. As a matter of fact, if it were weighed on that merit, I would be the last one. I would never have received it, but it was by the mercy of God. On the road to Damascus, the Spirit of God spoke to him, revealed himself. And then he said, but I obtained mercy He's talking about this blasphemy and, and being a persecutor and being injurious. But he said, but I received mercy or obtained mercy because what I did, I did in unbelief and I did it in, in, in ignorance or we might say innocent ignorance. He wasn't an ignorant or unlearned man, but he did it in innocent ignorance. He went on to say the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love and because of God's mercy, and because I was doing what I was doing in innocence, God has blessed me and he has placed me in a position to be used by him. He reminded them then that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and then Paul said, of whom I am chief. So he just wants to go ahead and, and, uh, and, and just take down any notion that he is anything at all but a willing and a usable vessel in the hand of God. So we want to pick this up in 1 Timothy 1.16. He said, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. The Lord is just using me as a pattern to show that if he could do something with me, then he can surely do something with you. Amen. He wasn't just, uh, he wasn't just trying to tear himself down in a, in a sense of false humility, but he was just trying to get real. I deserve none of this. It was the mercy of God. So the ministry that Paul writes of in chapter three, I think it's worth us taking a moment to pause and consider. He says in 2 Corinthians 3 and 3, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, he says, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Paul is being very, very specific. He knows his audience. He knows who he is preaching to. He is ministering to those who had their eyes fixated on the law of Moses and so this was not random. He said, you are a letter from the Lord and you are not written with ink, but you are written with the spirit of the living God. And what has been written is now not just chiseled into a flint rock, but it is placed in the tables or the tablets of the human heart. I'm glad today that what we have is not relegated to just stone. It is not just relegated to something we have to go and visit but I'm thankful for the word of God, the living word of God that is written upon our heart. And then Paul goes on to describe this ministry in verse number six. He said that Jesus has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. And so he has positioned us to have a voice to lead others to the light. He underlined something important. He said, not of the letter, but of the spirit, because Paul said, because the letter kills but the spirit brings life. Now, Paul is not throwing stones at the Old Testament, but he is trying to make them understand 
that there is a higher law, a law that is not relegated to what was written in stone. It was not just the law of Moses because the law or the letter, as he refers to it, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And so referring then to the letter killing, Paul reminds them of something critical. In essence, he asked this question in verses seven and eight. He said, if the ministry of death carved in letters with stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, will not the ministry of the Spirit then have even more glory? And so if we can just kind of go back now to the Old Testament and let's figure out what Paul is referring to when Moses went to the Mount Sinai and the Spirit of the Lord met him there. Amen. The power of God came down as a cloud and Moses was so transformed by what had taken place on the, on the mountain when, when God wrote again in that table and he came down off of that mountain and he was so impacted by that that the countenance of Moses shone. That's what the scripture talks about, that his very countenance was shown. It revealed the spirit and the power of God. So Paul is just saying this, that if the ministry of death or if the law that was carved with letters of stone, if that law came with such glory that the Israelites could not look upon the face of Moses. Remember, Moses veiled his face. If, the, if it was so powerful that Moses had to veil his face because of the glory, then how much more glory, how much more power, how much more transformation would take place because of the Spirit? I want you to know tonight that we, the church, have been entrusted with something powerful. We have been entrusted with something valuable. Amen. It will far exceed the tables of stone that was given to Moses on the mountain. I'm thankful, amen, for what brought us to where we are. But Paul was saying, if that on stone could transform Moses, then the heart, if the spirit can come into the heart of a man, how much more could it do? In verse number 12, Paul said this kind of hope or this kind of ministry has made us bold or it's made us courageous. Now, I believe that every ministry that God has placed within the church, whatever he's called you and I to do, that we should never be arrogant. And there's no place in ministry for arrogance, but it, it certainly ought to make us bold. And there is a, there's a vast difference between being arrogant and being bold. But I believe that we ought not to be passive about what the Spirit of God has placed in our heart and entrusted us with. We ought to have a clear understanding of, of the value of what's being placed in our hand. Amen. Anybody here have anything of value and worth? And you want others that handle those things of value and worth to be careful how they handle that. Because you know the value of it. You know the worth of it. And so you don't want something just laying around. You don't want something just tossed in the corner because you understand the value of it. And so Paul is trying to, un to underline the power or, or, or underline the importance of us having a clear understanding of what the Spirit of God has placed within us. And so he has entrusted the church, I believe, with a glorious, life-altering, life-transforming ministry. And so when we come together, we're not just coming in to sing. Amen. We're not just coming in for just a little bit of fellowship. We're not just coming in for the sermon. We're not just coming in for whatever we may have on the agenda. There's something powerful that can be released in the midst 
of the Spirit of God moving. So with that said, it's important to understand a few central things to what the Apostle Paul is saying. I believe it's very vital how we look at what God has called us individually to do because how you view your ministry will really determine how you fulfill your ministry. If you see yourself of no value and no no worth, then you're, you're going you're gonna to fulfill to that very level. If you look at serving the Lord as a burden instead of a privilege, then I'm going to tell you that it's going to be a drudgery to come to the house of God. It's going to be a drudgery to set through a praise and worship. It's going to be a drudgery to set through a sermon. It doesn't matter who's preaching, who's playing, or who's singing. Amen. It's going to be a drudgery if we look at this as a burden. But David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I believe this very strongly, just like a natural body. It doesn't matter how full you may have been at one point in your life after the, you must may have had the greatest meal ever. I'll promise you the body is gonna do something with that meal and it's gonna demand more. And so it doesn't matter how powerful the service, how great the move of God, I believe the spirit man, a healthy spirit man is gonna do something with that that's been consumed. And then it's gonna cry out for more. There's something wrong there's something deeply wrong if, if inside of our heart when it is time to go to the house of God we say I can do without that tonight or I can do without that today amen when a body shuts down and doesn't eat and take in something that's a sign that something is grossly grossly wrong amen I say Lord help me to look at what you've entrusted me with amen I want to see the value of it I want to see the worth of it I want to give everything that I have Every time, every time. It doesn't matter. Amen. It doesn't matter what service it may be. It doesn't matter what the crowd may or may not be. It doesn't matter what the spirit of the service may or may not be. I want to give it my all. I want to give everything that I have. It may be my last time, so I want to treat it like it's the last time. And so if you look at it as a drudgery, it'll be a burden to you. But if you look at it as a joy, it'll be joy. When Paul considered the fact that he was a minister of Christ, he was overwhelmed by the grace and by the mercy of God. He had a very positive attitude about ministry, amen, and that positive attitude about his ministry, I believe, gave some practical consequences in his life. In verse number one, which was our text, amen, he's talked about receiving this ministry by the mercy of God. He said, because we have received this, we faint not. And so I believe that some practical consequences of Paul being optimistic about what the Lord had called him to do, put a spirit of pressing on in him. <laughs> amen, I'm thankful for a spirit of pressing on to just keep pushing, to keep moving forward. Amen, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. I just gotta stand and I gotta tell it again. I wanna, I wanna sing a song again. I wanna praise him again because he's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy. Now that's not to say that when Paul says we faint not, that is certainly not to say that he didn't have trials that brought him to the very threshold of breaking. In, in 2 Corinthians 1 and 8, he confessed that his trials in Asia had almost brought him to despair. He said, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia 
that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. Now, aren't you just thankful for people that don't mind being transparent? And he said, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I know when you see me, often uh, you may just see me in, in glory. You may see the anointing of the Lord, the apostle Paul. Amen. But we know in truth that he wasn't always in glory. We know in truth he wasn't always robed. Amen. He wasn't always behind a pulpit, but sometimes he was a prisoner. He was in bondage. He said, I don't want to, I don't want you to be ignorant about the things that happened to us in Asia because we were present out of measure, we were pressed above strength insomuch that we even despaired life, amen, despite his great gifts and despite his immeasurable experience, the apostle Paul says, I am human and I am subject to human trial, I am subject to human feelings and so I don't wanna put anybody's laundry out tonight but I'm just gonna tell you, irrespective of what you think about the person on the other side of the building, they've been pressed above measure, they have been pressed, amen, above their strength and there have been times they wondered if I can even go on but somehow they realize I have received a glorious gift from God and so because I received it not by my own merit but I received it by the grace of God we faint not it's not because we don't have the ability to faint but I'm just going to keep standing because God even in the times of pressing is going to hold me praise God amen so how could Paul lose heart when he was involved in such a wonderful ministry? And would God have entrusted this ministry to him so that he might fail? I believe the obvious answer to that should be a resounding no. Because remember, with a divine calling comes a divine enabling. If God is going to call you and send you, he is going to equip you. Amen. And so in those moments when you look in the mirror and say, I don't know if I can do this, remember this. Somebody much wiser than you called you. Somebody much more faithful called you. And so if they called me, then I'm going to stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is going to make sure that we stand. So despite what he was facing, he knew that God, would see him through. A discouraged minister wrote to an elder, wrote a letter to an elder. He was so desperate for a word, a word that might get him back on track, a word that might help him refocus his life and ministry. And did he ever receive it? In his letter, he submitted this question. Among many other things, he finally said, with all this being said, should I leave the ministry? To which his elder friend replied, he said, you should never, ever think of giving up ministry. And then he went on to say something that each and every one of us ought to hear and we ought to underline. He said, never think of giving up the ministry because the angels envy the great work that you are doing. Amen, I said something lit in my heart when I read that. Amen, I want you to understand there are times that Everybody has felt like I've had enough. I can't go another mile. And should we quit? But somebody is echoing back. Don't ever give up what God has called you to do because there's angels that would love to be here tonight to be able to do what God has called you and I to do. My, my, my. I feel the Holy Ghost in what I'm talking about. Amen. That is the kind of reply that the Apostle Paul would have written back to the church. Furthermore, it's the kind of reply that you and I ought to consider when we feel like our work is in vain. And so to everyone here tonight, 
And to anyone that may be listening to this message, hear me. Musicians, when you're weary, you just keep on playing. And singers, when you are weary, you need to just keep on singing. And teachers, when you are weary, you need to keep on teaching. And administrators, when you're weary, you just need to keep on with your administration gift and calling. Amen. Whatever your respective role might be in the kingdom of God, when you feel like throwing in the towel, when you say enough is enough, when you've been pressed without measure, when you've been pressed and pushed to the point that you don't know if you can go on. We need to look up and realize there's angels that are watching us that envy the ministry. If I can use that word, there are angels that desire to do what you and I are doing right here tonight. My, 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 my. And so I am gonna understand the power of this glorious ministry that God has called us to. The angels are looking down. Praise God. Praise God. The ministry that Paul had been entrusted with prevented him from quitting. It prevented him from doing many things. He said, I'm not going to faint. But he didn't just stop at fainting or quitting. He said in verse number two, but he said, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, Paul again knew his audience and he knew who he was preaching to. Amen. (laughs) He wasn't hiding behind the pulpit. I'm not suggesting that, but Paul certainly knew who he was preaching to because many false teachers then and today claim to base their doctrine out of the word of God But you see, false teachers handle the word of God in a very deceptive manner. Amen. I've always been intrigued by sleight of hand. Always been intrigued by that. I know some people uh, personally that are incredibly gifted in that area. And it's not magic as in black magic and things of that nature. It's just the hand being quicker than the eye. But a part of that, I don't understand it all, but I do understand this that a part of that, a huge part of the sleight of hand is distraction. And all they need is just a, just a split second. They just need to get you to look over here so they can do something over here. And many false teachers today claim to take it out of the word of God, but they handle the word of God with sleight of hand. Paul had nothing to hide, either in his personal life or preaching the word. He was open and, and he was honest and he said, I'm gonna renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. He had nothing to hide. There was no deception, no distortion of the word. The Judaizers were guilty of twisting the scripture and, and, and they, tw- they twisted the scripture to, to fit their own preconceived interpretations. And sadly, people who are innocently ignorant are willing to follow them, were then and they are now. And the fundamental truth, it really does beg a question or two. And so if Paul was such a faithful teacher of the word, then why didn't more people believe his message? And why then also were false teachers so successful in winning converts? And so that's a question or a two question or two that would be pertinent to 
that era, but we could certainly make that pertinent to the day in which we're living. I believe the answer to those questions and more is found in verses three and four. The scripture said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds, blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest he had to blind their minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. And so the, the enemy is at work trying to keep people from believing. I want you to really hear me. I want to slow down and get this now. The minds, not just the eyes, but the mind of a sinner is bound and blinded by Satan. And fallen man finds it easier to believe lies than it is to believe truth. Well, it's a lot easier to believe that you don't need to be faithful to the house of God. That gives you way more fishing time. Gives you way more time on the golf course and in the hunting woods. It's really, really easy to believe that you shouldn't support the work of God financially. That gives you a lot more spending money here or there, or so some may think. Amen. It's a lot easier to believe that you don't have to line up to any measure of the word of God and you can live like you want to live and you can make a confession one time and everything's just going to be all right because you're irrevocably saved. And so it is, it is fallen man finds it way, way easier to believe those kind of things. But note carefully verse number four. The God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the, light, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so here it is. It is unbelief that blinds the mind from the revelation of God's word. Unbelief. That's why Paul in Acts chapter 19 and verse number two asked a very pointed question. Paul was passing through Ephesus and he came across certain disciples, the scripture says, and he asked them a piercing question. He just simply said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Amen, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Not have you received the Holy Ghost since you sang? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you prayed? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you did this or that? He said, I need to know, I need to know, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Because Paul understood that the starting point of this entire journey is going to begin with believing. I would like to pause here tonight long enough to say something additional to this. Since we can see in scripture that it takes believing to release the revelation of God's truth, we should also understand that in if and when unbelief begins to creep back into a person's life, the truths that people have once known can be veiled to them again. Amen, I really feel like in the Holy Ghost that I need to say that again. If believing is the key, then we need to understand that when that's why the enemy works so hard against our belief, chips away at our faith at the foundation. Is the word of God really the word of God? Is it fundamental? Is it truth? Is this the bedrock? Is it really where we need to begin? And so he is working away because if he can get the spirit of unbelief released in your spirit, in your soul, amen, the truths that you have once known can become veiled to you again. I'm not trying to shock anybody 
somebody tonight, amen, but I am wanting to get something in our spirit. I have been appalled, and perhaps I am not alone, at some things that people have once walked with God allow back in their lives. People that strayed away from the Lord and we would think, my goodness, after the experience you had, how in the world could you go back? How in the world could you do this? Or how in the world could you do that? We say that because we want to take a pragmatic look at life. And we ask, how can someone walk so far away from God? But the truth of the matter is, is that the Satan is just waiting right in the wings. And he's just waiting for a moment to plant a little bit of unbelief in your mind and your heart and when that shadow of doubt is cast it gives him room to start hanging a curtain and a veil amen I say this in the fear of the Holy Ghost tonight I'm going to tell you that when the spirit of unbelief starts working in your life you need to rebuke it with everything that you have you need to bind it with everything that you have it ought to be cast out of your mind out of your home out of your heart why because I don't want to lose the revelation that God has placed in my heart. My Lord, I feel something deep stirring in my spirit tonight. Don't toy with unbelief. Don't hold hands with unbelief. Don't go back from where God has brought you from. I'm gonna stand on the bedrock. If you're in a season of cloudiness, if you're in a season of uncertainty, I'm gonna tell you, I've got one suggestion. If you don't think you can walk forward, just lean forward. Amen, if I fall, let me fall toward the truth. If I fall, let me fall toward your mercy. If I fall, God, let me fall into your warm arms and embrace. My God, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Amen, I am not being cynical and I am not being sarcastic, but I want you to hear the preacher to preach tonight. When you hear people say things like, I've got a new revelation, they may be telling the truth. Because if you don't have a love for truth, because they had not a love for truth, the Lord sent a strong delusion. Oh my God, my God, my God, our world is wrestling and struggling against the spirit of delusion today. Amen. Deception. The God of this world will blind the minds of those that aren't walking in the light that God has given them. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, help us tonight to understand how soberly and righteously and intentionally we must walk with him. My goodness. I've said in Bible studies where the light of revelation came on in the hearts and the minds and the lives of people. And not long ago, I met someone that I had given a Bible study two years ago and they wrote it all off as we just have differences. And I'm thinking to my mind, I didn't want to say it. We haven't always had differences. Because there was a time, I remember it well, when the light came on. Amen. The light came on so powerfully. Oh, Jesus, help us. You see, 
Satan doesn't want the light of salvation to shine into people's hearts. He wants to keep their minds blinded. As the God of this age and the prince of this world, Satan desires to keep people in the dark. The sad thing is that that Satan uses religious people often and teachers like the Judaizers to deceive people. Many people today who, uh, who belong to cults were originally a part of a Christian church movement of some sort. As a matter of fact, many prominent cult leaders were ministers that got their eyes off the Lord and on themselves. I could name names. Jim Jones. Amen. I know what I'm talking about now. I'm not out here on a limb by myself. But you see, prominent cult leaders sometimes get their eyes off of the Lord and on themselves, and in time, this brings a veiled understanding. And things that were once very clear aren't as clear as they once were. Finally, the fact that Paul had received this ministry from Christ kept him from being a quitter. It kept him from being a deceiver. He said, we're going we're to shine light here. But it also, taking this another step further in verses 5 and 6, he says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. He said, for God who commanded light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here, here let me untangle a little bit of that King James for us. The Judaizers enjoy preaching about themselves. Me, 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 me. Shining all the light on themselves. They love the glory of their own achievements because they were not servants who tried to help people. They were dictators who exploited people. And that is the true sign of a cult leader exploiting others for the gratification of themselves. Paul was certainly a man who practiced genuine humility. According to 2 Corinthians 1 and 9, this is what he said of himself. He said, I don't even trust myself. I don't have that scripture for you, I don't think. I don't have that scripture for you, but trust me. (laughs) It's truly there. He said, I don't trust myself. In 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 5, he talks about not praising himself. According to 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, he didn't preach himself. In other words, he didn't promote himself. And so he never sought for the limelight somehow to wiggle his way that he is the center of all attention. He sought only to lead people to the Lord and to build up their faith. And it would have been so easy, just think about this with me if you will, for Paul to build his own fan club. I mean, it could just Apostle Paul Ministries Incorporated. Here we go. He could add his own fan base. Me, 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 me. But he refused to do that. And that was the MO of the Judaizers. But Paul rejected that kind of ministry. So I'll say this as our musicians come. When we begin witnessing to other people and you share the gospel of the Lord in whatever fashion that is. It may be your personal testimony. It, it could be anywhere, anything from your personal testimony to an, an out-and-out literal Bible study in their home, your home, or here at the church or whatever it may be. 
When we begin to witness to someone, I want to share with you what happens. I want you to see this in a different light if we need to. What happens when we begin to share the gospel is the light starts coming on. And it's just amazing how little light it takes to push back darkness. In our homes, strategically placed where other accidents have happened, we have those little plug covers, little LED lights that shine down on the floor. X marks the spot. And it's amazing how little light at 2.30 in the morning it takes to push back darkness. The overhead lights are not on, but you can see to get anywhere. And so when you begin to share with God, with people what God has done in your life, the light starts coming on. It may not be enough light to fully function, but it's enough light to start walking. Amen. No born-again believer should ever complain about the lack of your gifts or the lack of your abilities. We need to accept ourselves. I'm not saying we shouldn't improve, but we need to accept ourselves for ourselves. Amen. Most important thing about a vessel is that it needs to be clean, it needs to be empty, and it needs to be available. It doesn't have to be multi-talented, it doesn't have to be ridiculously gifted. We just need to be clean, empty of other things, and available. Here I am, Lord. We are earthen vessels. That's on purpose. Earthen vessels have to depend on the power of God. Earthen vessels understand what is, what, what is the key, and that is that the Spirit of God leads and guides. I'm going to tell you something about the man at the, at the piano, the man at the keyboard, the man at the drums. I'm going to tell you something about the singers holding the microphone. They know how to do their job. They can come in tomorrow morning in your absence and do everything they did tonight. They could sit down in the middle of a mall. If a piano was in a mall, sit down in the mall and play the very songs they played tonight. But they have an understanding about the difference of that setting and this setting. Is that we can't do this without God. And God help any of us to ever walk to a pulpit, an instrument, a classroom, or anywhere without saying, Lord, I'm like Moses now. If you don't go with me, I can't go. If you're not planning on showing up, I'm not planning on showing up because there's no need for me to go if you're not going. Amen. Let's stand. I got to focus on the treasure and not the vessel. If we only focus on the treasure and not the vessel, then that means we're going to be focusing on the master and not the servant. Amen. One minister said this about ministry. And so I just repeat it tonight. I'm going to quote a couple here. One pastor said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. It's got to cost you something. It's got to dig in. A young man preached an eloquent message, and after the service, two elders were talking, not in the spirit of gossip. I don't want you to take this wrong. 
they were talking about the message. And one looked at the other and said, that was a good message, but something was missing. To which his friend replied, what was missing was the suffering. But it won't be long, and the suffering will come. <laughs> now, I know that may sound morbid to you, but there's merit to this. Because Paul said in 1 Peter 5 and 10, he said, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. There's something about just going through some stuff. They'll just put some salt in you. Amen. Now, you can't just do a whole lot of suffering when you're 12. You can, I'm sure a lot of 12-year-olds think they're suffering. Internet went out. <laughs> Their phone broke. We're just as bad. We're just as bad. If you want to get me into panic, let the internet go out. Don't let, let me misplace my phone. I mean, everything stops. We can't do anything else. I got to find my phone. Brother J.H. Osborne has often said, in the spirit of this same thing, before God can use someone greatly, he will need to wound them deeply. And there's so much truth to that. Not because God is morbid. But the more sand that water sifts through, the more pure it's going to be when it gets to the bottom. And you see, when we come into this life, we come into this life pure. We come into this life without a lot of sand. The troubles and trials and, and things that we go through, standing when we could fall, pressing on when we could turn back. It just adds something else for stuff to filter through. And what we say has more and more and more merit. Amen. I'm thankful for this glorious ministry, aren't you? Amen. Let's magnify the Lord together in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.